Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And this is episode 442, On Our Minds, The Roman Empire Games. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode about the Roman Empire. Because that's what we're thinking about all the time. You Apparently. About the Roman Empire. That's, that's what I've been told very recently by the news, is that it is on my mind all the time. Mm-hmm. Of course it is, because yeah. you're a dude, and that's what dudes think about, Roman yeah. Empire stuff. And this is how I know my wife is not on TikTok, because <laughs> I did not know about any of this until, like, yesterday. So, <laughs> Yeah, so this has become a nationwide conversation topic. Started out on TikTok, and it was women asking their male partners, hey, do you ever think about the Roman Empire and then being shocked at the fact that, yes, in fact, they often think about the Roman Empire, sometimes once a week, sometimes once a day, but fairly common across the board, different generations, different nationalities, ethnic classes, does not matter. Men tend to think about the Roman Empire, you know, the period that lasted around from 27 BC to 476 AD, where the Roman Empire conquered, ruled, again, the known world, as far as that region knew. They kind of ruled a, a small section of the world, but it was big, as far as the accomplishments that have seemingly lasted to this day, that so much so, that men are still thinking about these things. I love how it's just specific to men. Like, there's no... <laughs> I, and I'm not a scientist, but I... You do play one on the podcast. I, I do play one on the podcast. Um, uh-huh. I teach I teach plenty of them, and my job is to teach people like research skills. Yes. So 
just the idea of just like men, man, men are just talking about this all the time. I'm like, there's no quantifiable anything to this. It's just purely anecdotal and a bunch of people like thumbing it on TikTok. And then the Today yes. Show is like, yeah, that's a thing. Like, <laughs> is it? And National News, yeah. Is it? Because it's, I don't, how is this even gendered? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but it's again maybe the patriarchy because that was kind of patriarchal back in the day. And sure, sure, you know, over seven, eight million people viewing these videos, and God knows how many likes across the board. And again, the national news. I think again, it's surprising because whether it's a stereotype or just real life, true life, so pose the kind of thing is men again without using stereotypes and a lot of air quotes you can't see here are more of the quiet variety. We are, we think to ourselves, we act and move very quietly. So we are an enigma to a lot of people out there. And, True. you know, we tend to think about, I don't know, some grand things, whether it's the Stoics or the emperor emperors and all the things that they were able to accomplish. And let's, and let's be fair. The Roman empire did some things, not all the best things, but they did do some things, right? sure yeah i don't know i i feel like as a board gamer we're automatically hit by this because i'm like well yes. <laughs> there's enough there's enough games with roman factions or just roman themed that yeah yes. i probably think about the roman empire once a week that's because i'm playing a game with their them in there say say yeah. if you took it out though and i'm like never not once in my adult life unless unless it's in the media mm, i'm consuming i don't know I mean, there's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of historical movies, there's a lot of books, there's a lot of philosophy, and obviously we're talk we're talking infrastructure, right? Roads. I mean, the Romans are known for their roads. They invented concrete, the aqueducts, plumbing, right? Romans are well known. Their political system, their class system, the Colosseum, the the uh, the gladiators. I mean, they've been able to create many, many things of just amazing kind of economic, political, scientific, military triumphs. And they did conquer most of the known Western, Eastern, Mediterranean world at the time. So, and they look pretty snazzy in those yogas, togas too. Yeah, I, I suppose so. Yeah, I can't yeah. argue with any of that. There you go. It's mostly the togas. So that will be our feature review because we have, turns out, played a lot of these games. So. We're also going to take a look at some of the best, maybe a round number, because, you know, 10. <laughs> That's how we roll around here. Top 10s That's for days. Right. That's it. So we will be looking at 10 or X number of games for this episode. And, you know, if for no other reasons, it gives us a nice, cool kind of excuse to talk about some really cool Roman Empire games. Okay. But Anthony, there's other stuff going on in the world. Other than the Roman Empire, or at least the reminiscence of that amazing era, uh, we should talk about the opposite of the great sculptures and artistry <laughs> and culture and passion and philosophies. Let's just say we could produce it quick and easy and simple and be soulless. What would that be like? Uh, I'd be terraforming Mars. Whoa! Yeah. yeah. Uh oh. Please what don't. If... Please don't cancel us. <laughs> I please listen. <laughs> Listen, here's the thing. Still one, still one of my favorite games of all time. Same. We met the designer. Lovely yes. man. Absolutely Love lovely him. man. Great like, beard. Whole family. Amazing. Yes. Except they've made a decision and their publisher has been like, 
heck yeah, doubling down on this decision that I don't think we're a fan of, and I think a lot of people are not a fans of. So The Romans are not a fan of this. They would not be a fan of this. No, nobody's a fan of this. So here's a, here's a summary. Here's what happened. Uh, Give us the story. On their Kickstarter page, and this is something that Kickstarter started requiring um, in August. So they probably have been doing this for longer. We don't know how long. Realistically, the AI hasn't been that great for very long. But they had to disclose how they used AI-generated content in their project. And they basically said, we use all the AI tools, Midjourney, Fodor, and Adobe Suite, to support and supplement and it's integrated into their company they're very unclear at how they're using it but the subtext of all of this what they're very clearly obfuscating is that they're using ai generated artwork in the game okay there's no way to know for sure what's ai generated how much of it's ai generated whether there's any art artistry going over the top of it because they aren't telling us they're very clearly not telling us and any interviews with the people at Indie Board and Cards who own Stronghold Games and are the representatives kind of speaking for the company, um, they won't say either. So, which tells me they're just using AI to make artwork. Which if you've seen Terraforming Mars artwork, (laughs) sure. Yeah, I could see that. Um, Yes. And so it just, it's exploded in this whole thing of some people being like, absolutely not. That's terrible. You can't do that. And other people being like, what is the big deal? It's a new tool. Why are we getting yes. upset about tools? Can you imagine people in 1993 saying you shouldn't be allowed to use Photoshop? And I think, and Chris, you can jump in here too, because you sent me a link to an interview that was up here yeah. on Polygon recently. I mm-hmm. think a lot of people are just missing the point of why this is a problem. Yes. It's... I mean, there's there's a lot of problems to this. So, again, and I think this garners and I think it needs to have a longer discussion by people who are more knowledgeable about the challenges of AI. Now, we we know as a general public that this is a real challenge to artists. Let's just start there. So much so that, as we all know, there is a writers slash actors strike that's been going on for several months now at this point. So that's part of like, there is a serious concern that people's livelihoods are at stake. And because they are creative and creatives, the challenge here happens to be oftentimes that not only is our job, they're losing jobs that they would normally have, but more more to the point, their artwork is being co-opted by the AI. The AI doesn't know how to create artwork. It doesn't no. it doesn't have any creative soul to it, but it knows how to take pre-existing artwork from other artists and designers and then utilize that form of artwork that was created by a human person, you know, for whatever express content and then jigger it just enough so that it could pass it off as new artwork, not by that designer. And again, quasi within their style. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I I feel like this is the big thing people are missing is like, and I don't want to say it like that either, because maybe you're not missing it, but generative AI is not just pure AI. AI doesn't think computers can't think they're programmed to follow certain algorithms. And those algorithms are incredibly complex to the point where we can't really understand how they work anymore. Nobody understands how they work. They're basically black boxes. 
The developers don't know how they work. But what they what we know they need is input. It's machine learning. They learn and then they output. And so like you're saying, Chris, it's it's not just like this AI knows what Mars is and knows what astronauts (laughs) are and knows what a forest is and then creates artwork of astronauts on Mars planting a forest. No, it it plums its and this is very simplistic, but it plums its databases for artwork that it has scraped off the internet without mm-hmm. the permission of the artists who made it for those types of things. And then it creates something out of that. I I do a lot of this like in my class because I teach writing. So I have to explain to my students, like this is what generative AI is. This is where it gets its information. This is what you're doing if you're using it to produce materials. And a lot of them are surprised because they don't really... You just say AI, people like, oh, it's artificial intelligence. You hear the word intelligence, you think it's thinking. It's not thinking. Yes. No. It's co-opting in mass, throwing it all in a blender, and then pulling something out. But mm-hmm. the people whose stuff is co-opted did not give permission, were not paid anything, have no ability to say, I don't want my stuff in that blender. That's the ethical point. That's the problem. Sure. And I, I think if we focus on people losing their jobs, and that is bad, but then people just make the counter argument of like, well, the Industrial Revolution. Like, sure. Yeah, this happens every 50 years or so. Some new technology comes along and a bunch of people lose their jobs and it sucks. But this is different in the regards that there's no ethical guidelines and there won't be because the technology is moving way too fast for the government to do anything about it. And companies have no filters. They're just doing whatever they want to do. So I don't think it's ethical at all for anybody to use artwork from an AI system and then to sell that artwork. I think that's the line we need to draw. If you're making money from that, you are co-opting someone else's work and making money from that. And I don't think that's okay. Um, There are some AI tools that allow you to input materials and you train the AI with your materials. And I think that's a little bit less of a gray area because it's not just drawing from like all the stuff it finds online. Um, On top of all that, Travis Worthington from Indie Game Studios, not apologetic at all. Basically saying Mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's technology. We're going to use it. We don't care. (laughs) Like, it's it's okay right now. We might as well do it while we can get away with it. Um, I, I wish more people were upset. I wish this campaign wasn't making one point five million. Uh, yeah, I will tell you, I was never going to back it. But if I had, I probably would have canceled it at this point. Because same as an artist, and I'm a writer, not a visual artist, but as an artist, I I can feel the violation of people whose work is taken and used like that. And I'm sure my yes. work is in all these AI systems too, because I've published mm-hmm. a lot of stuff online. And I'm sure it's in there. And I have no way to know that. I don't know where my stuff is. And it's frustrating. So, yeah, that's that's my two cents. But it's disappointing. It's a great game. It's a great family. Um, It used to be a great company. It's not owned by a great company anymore. But, you know, we all have to make our own ethical decisions here. But I I would implore all of you to, to think about it. And the fact that people are legitimately hurt by this. It's not just like a amorphous thing or we're being Luddites and trying to break the machines is an actual ethical issue. Yeah. And a couple of points there just to, I mean, to echo some of your stuff you said, Anthony, we're just, we love technology. We're like off the charts, like more, more technology, all the better. Again, I, I, for one, welcome our AI masters of the future. Um, And I'm alone in that clearly, but nonetheless, (laughs) all of that being said, the thing about tabletop gaming that we do love and enjoy is that it's a box full of artisans 
and inventors that have come together to create a unique I don't even know how to I don't even know how to properly express it. I'm not a poet. Like it's a unique cooperative universe of artistic in personal embodiment and engagement like there's graphic design which is art and science and so essential and necessary for everything there's actual gorgeous artwork that inspires and paints a picture in your mind of these characters and their experiences that they're having there's mathematicians and programmers and people with like gigantic logistical mindsets and they're able to put together complex systems that are easy to understand and to integrate. There are writers creating, crafting amazing stories and flavor text that makes you understand the world in which you're engaged with. I mean, they're sculptors, those little miniatures that we love so much and that they're always up, upgrading and updating. There's an amazing sculptor behind that that's creating those images, whether it's a 3D print or if it's something that they're crafting by hand and then they're molding later on, like it's an incredible world that we get to participate in. And only because of the artisans and the inventors that make it. So, I mean, these are designer board games. This is something that is so uniquely special and these people are uniquely special and the game experiences that we have and the love we have for the industry and each and every individual game is special and like we 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 owe it to them to honor their work and it's just in the end it's just really not fair and it's it's and it it degrades our experience because i played a couple of these games i i burned a game not too long ago it was a party game with this terrible ai artwork mm. and you could see and feel it just felt artificial it didn't feel real didn't feel integrated and again to have these great artists like ian o'toole like oh i want to make a, a you know art for my game i'm going to plug in some you create a game box for like, you know, tool, like that's the man's bread and butter. Like, and again, the, the computer is never going to have an imagination. So, you know, tool comes to the game and he creates something radically different and new from him from himself. He doesn't take his old image and like, he just rejiggles them a little bit and just throws them out there. Like he creates something new and fantastical. And like, if they start replacing artists real artists and again i'm talking all the different artists out there all the different types of mediums of art if they start replacing them with computers we're just going to get reiterations of stuff that we already have we're not going to get something new and different and exciting it's just going to be bland copy and paste kind of stuff and i just i don't want that for our industry i don't want that for my game night i don't want that for my games i just i don't like that i just there's nothing good about that. There's just nothing good about it. So, you know, we're going to call those out as they come out and we're not going to support them. It's just, it's just, it's just a thing. And again, it breaks our heart because we love designer, the designers, and we love everything about Terraforming Mars. Like we own practically everything in the kitchen sink and all those extra promos that were like five bucks each with the worst artwork in some cases, like jokeable yeah. artwork in that first box. But, it wasn't taking from somebody. And it's sad because like, hi, Ian, hire Ian O'Toole. Let him do your artwork. Let him imagine what Terraforming Mars would look like. That would be amazing. I don't know. Like, Yeah. Especially if you're on Kickstarter, you can just, it's Terraforming Mars, especially charge whatever you need to charge to get to pay somebody for their artwork. Like, you don't need to save money. <laughs> and 
Yeah, I don't think it's any- not like they. Yeah, it's not like they're high. It's not like they're trying to do a bare bones. They're charging you know crazy amounts of money for this game. Right, and and they they talk about like oh, it gives us more time for development. I'm like, it's irrelevant to what you're doing. The game is developed now. You know what it costs to develop. Charge for that. So I yeah, I don't have anything else to add to what you said. I I 100 agree. And there's many of you listening who might be like, I don't see the problem with AI, and I res- I honestly, this is going to be an ongoing conversation for years to come especially as it gets smarter but uh yeah (laughs) i just not a fan look i mean i we've talked about deluxifications of games for many years and we've 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 you know we've we've supported them when they're great and we've hit them when they're like unnecessary and bad nobody nobody as far as i've ever known in person, on a podcast, on a YouTube channel, anybody in media, anybody in gaming has ever said, oh, we could have done with, you know, worse artwork. Right. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, a super deluxe player piece or, you know, super deluxe miniature, you could do it out. But no one's ever said, you know what? We didn't need this artwork. We needed this gorgeous artwork. Like, I've literally bought endless numbers of games because of the artwork. They're works of art, like legitimately works of art. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Please support real artists out there, support their games, support the artistry that goes into them, follow them online, support their campaigns, do the social media things that helps them because they're not, they could be in any other industry and making far more money, but they have a love and passion for tabletop gaming and we all benefit from it because our games look amazing. Now, Anthony, speaking about amazing, we're doing some amazing stuff. We will have a lot more details on this, but COVID is, <laughs> fingers crossed, lots of fingers crossed, somewhat kind of manageable at this point. Uh, Board Gamers Anonymous has been doing charity events typically every year. COVID obviously was a big issue. So we're back to it. We're going to do a big board game charity day on November 4th in Fanwood, New Jersey. So if you're in that area, Fanwood, New Jersey, and want to come down that Saturday, we'll be there approximately from 10 a.m. to about 10 p.m., give or take. It's going to be a great event. Part of the the big draw for the event is we're working with our friends and partners from Board Games for the Better, and they're all about putting the heart in board games, and primarily they're a nonprofit organization that supports uh, young people and gamers out there who do not have games or have access to games. So they raise money, they raise games so that they can give them to other people that are really in need. So they're going to be working with us and we're going to be working again. There's a lot more details. I don't want to give away everything yet, but November 4th, that's Saturday, a lot of great fun and activities to be had, a lot of charitable activities to be had, opportunity to sell your board games if you'd like as part of our board game flea market opportunity to play games opportunity to support some great charities and organizations so every week up until the event and the event itself we'll talk more about that details on boardgamersanonymous.com to follow by the time you're hearing this we'll be in process so hold that date and we'll have more details as they come all right anthony so that's everything that's happening with us and everything out in the board gaming world it's about time to talk about the things that we want to talk about, Anthony. Let's talk about the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about our acquisitions of sorters. 
All right. Uh, so my acquisition disorder this week is a game about cheese. What? All cheese, all the time. And the cover is just a bunch <laughs> of cheese. Cheese uh, Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is called Fromage. It's on Kickstarter right now. And it is designed by Matthew O'Malley and Ben Rossett. Um, they worked on Between Two Cities and a, okay. a bunch of other stuff. But most famously, at least for me, Between Two Cities, the search for Planet X, I guess I should also throw in there, it is a top 100 game. I just, I just haven't personally played it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have a new game up on Kickstarter. It's called Fromage. And uh, they do not list the artist, but if you dig into the rule book, it does list the artist as Pavel Zovba. I think they just, okay. they just do not have a profile of a board game geek yet so this is a game quite literally about being a french cheesemaker in the early 20th century so a couple hundred years ago um no not a couple hundred years ago a hundred years ago it's a simultaneous worker placement game uh with a board that rotates so you have this round board that you build and put together and then it rotates throughout the course of the game and so like all these things kind of slot into these different locations and then you kind of rotate it around take actions accordingly um so the little pieces of cheese and there's like different types of pieces of cheese you got like the little (laughs) wedges and then like the larger pieces that go on top of them with the meeples on them um you also have meeples for the animals producing the milk for the cheese of course the cows and the sheep and the goats but also the things that they eat so the berries and this and the uh and the wheat and the the various grains and then you have the places to store them like lots of like just cool looking uh, wood tokens that the game comes with. Um, the worker placement boards give a very strong like viticulture vibe. Uh, the mm-hmm. game itself gives a very strong viticulture vibe. It's like it's France and you're making something fancy, and it's worker placement, so it'd be hard not to compare it to uh, viticulture. But it's just the production really has me like kind of raise my eyebrows a little bit because you can even get the version with a lazy Susan. It comes with one to rotate the board so you don't have to do it on the table. Um, and the prices are not stupid, crazy high, right? So if you, the limited edition, which comes with, you know, your rotating fancy board, um, all of your fancy, like 168 wooden meeples, um, your crazy dream cheese artwork, <laughs> it's, it's like 50 bucks, which in the world of a hundred plus dollar terraforming Mars AI designed nonsense, fifty dollars is great. Uh, so, if you really like cheese and you like medium weight worker placement games, take place in France, of which there are quite a few apparently. Um, Fromage looks pretty cool. I like these designers. I like some of the creativity that goes into their games. Uh, I don't know if I like cheese that much, but it could be kind of a fun. Uh, it's a new theme for sure. Um, yeah, I'm gonna keep an eye on this one. It's Fromage. It's on Kickstarter now. It's up for like three more weeks. It just launched very recently, and it is. Uh, it's a trip. It's like a just a very interesting aesthetic choice going on here in this game. Gotcha. Well, I, th- I think I got you beat as far as inexpensive is concerned. This is a roll and write. Yes, I did it. A roll and write that I'm endorsing for an acquisition disorder. I mean, the day you, has come. You haven't done it till you buy it. So that's true. I do own. I do own roll and writes. Don't look. I Name do own one. That. Name one. I no seriously. I, I do own. I know. I believe it's you. 
what's the what's the one I, way back in the day? What was the one with the the dice, the wooden dice, and that? Wooden... Oh yeah, roll through the ages. Roll through the ages. That's I got two game. of those. Yeah, and that was like way back in the day, man. Mm-hmm. That's way back in the day. Yeah, yep. Matt Leacock. Yeah. So that's also a great game. We should mention that. That's also a very great game. So uh, on Kickstarter, there is a campaign called One Page War because that's how long these RP, <laughs> these role-playing games should really be. Just one page. That's it. That's all. So One Page War is a highly interactive roll-and-write game from the designer of Moon, Streets, and Villagers. We're a big fan of their games, Sinister Fish. This is a game from one of their designers here. And primarily, what you're going to be looking at is, in fact, a one page. Now, what's even more fun about this, it's a print at home because it's just two sides of one page. And you can back it. And once the campaign is done, you can print it out for like five bucks. It's done. You got an awesome game because you have dice and you got a pencil and you can play this also online. You could play this like as like, I guess, a a writing app as far as like Adobe Sheets and that concern. So primarily, you're rolling dice, two-player game against an opponent, trying to beat out their score. And it plays down as far as like, um, almost like a poker hand kind of situation. Whoever has the biggest, the best combination of numbers and each of five different sections. At the end of the game, you count up to see who has won the most sections. And they win that game. So five different arenas win the most arenas win. But as you're rolling the dice and you're placing the numbers out to five of the different arenas. And now on the main board, there is like modern warfare, give or take. There's land, air, sea, politics, and espionage. What's some really cool artwork there. As you put the numbers out there and as you check off those different uh, arenas of activities, you get special abilities that you get to play against your opponent, which is a lot of fun. So whether you're playing this online or you're playing this in person, it's a quick, simple filler that you can play pretty easily at the table or on the tablet. And there's also a medieval edition, which honestly, I like the medieval edition even better because it's primarily the same game as far as the rules are concerned, but it's medieval. And that's fun because knights and castles and stuff like that. That just happens to be a little bit more of my thing. So it's just a rescreen skin. Um, but the alternate version of the game has different arena powers. And so you get you're basically getting two games in one for five bucks that you can download and play. And again, it's a fun game. There's a team mode. Any number of players can play this. Again, print and play. Nice little concept. Five bucks. It's currently on Kickstarter, and you have until Friday, October 6, 2023. How did I miss this? This is great. Yeah. I should listen to this bucks. podcast more often. This is great. I know. Yeah. <laughs> See, you know, there's a lot of print and play rolling rights on Kickstarter. I've backed a couple of them, and they're great. You get five bucks, and then they give you content. And sometimes they give you more content as they come up with new stuff. Same. But this one, I didn't realize, A, I didn't know it existed, but B, I didn't realize that Haken Hole Garter done a new game and launched it separately yes from sinister fish he didn't launch yes. it with them. Mm-hmm. um and it's his artwork right uh-huh. like it's it's that style <laughs> i love that flat style it's great um, i love it and then like when you're first talking about it i was like ah modern warfare i'm not a huge fan and then the medieval one i'm like oh he thought I of know. that too 
So, um, yeah, yeah, I'll back this because this is great. This is this is a no brainer for five bucks. No brainer. Five bucks. Five bucks. You're getting two versions of the game, and again, you could play this online. You could print it out. You don't have to worry about shipping. You don't have to pay a thousand dollars, and everything's cool. And I really like the artwork. Like the artwork really pops for me. All right, that is one page war. All right, Anthony, those are the games we want to hit the table or the tablet, of course. Let's talk about the games that we got to the table this week. We'll let you know if those games are a buy and you should round play them. If those games are a play, you should sit down and enjoy them. If those games are a dodge and you should avoid them. Or, in fact, the games are the dreaded burn, like all the rest of that AI artwork out there. So, Anthony. Burn it. What happened? What'd you play this week? Uh, oh, I played a big fat goose egg of nothing um i well that's not true i played through moon which you talked about last week i did uh so i don't know that i have anything to add to your review i think i generally agree with it it's a good game Mm -hmm. i've not gotten a chance to play it solo yet so okay it's sitting downstairs waiting for me to to go through those rules but i i was very impressed with just the amount of things you can do as long as you can see everybody's locations to place Mm -hmm. your workers that was the big issue yeah, like, as soon as I saw that, and I, me- I remember you said it, and then once I saw it in play, I was like, this isn't going to work. The kids are just going to be constantly asking me what's on my cards. Yes. I literally had to turn all my cards around so that I couldn't see them. Yeah. So that the kids could see them. Because yes. that was the only way to play with them. 100%. Um, which I wouldn't do with, like, contemporaries, but with children, sure. Yeah. Uh, and then I had no idea what was on their cards <laughs> at all. So, <laughs> it's like, that's this is not happening. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was the amount of things going on it's the most not complex but like busy of of mm-hmm. their games so far sure there's a lot of things there whereas villagers and and streets are very almost elegant in their design yes this one's clunky's not the right word but there's just a lot more to it and that part of that yeah. just it's a drafting game and therefore a tableau builder and therefore you have yes. a bunch of cards laid out um yeah. But I did feel like it had a good flow to it and it built up effectively over time. Like you mm-hmm. didn't all of a sudden have an amazing tableau and we're stomping somebody, but at the same time, you could go in the wrong direction and build up the wrong. You know, I'm producing way too many resources and now I can't yes. do anything interesting with it, which we've all done. So yeah, it's it's a solid play for me. I really enjoyed it. Um, I think I'll like it more playing with like game group. Yeah. Uh, adult gamers where I don't, yeah. I can look at my own cards more. Um, and I really will, you know, I do look forward to playing with the solo rules and the expansion. Yeah, I think the solo and the and two player, I, I don't even want to push it to three. If three works, don't play to four. Um, yeah, four is bad. Three was fine with the two kids, but yeah. there's, I mean, any game with the two kids, you have to like explain what's going on all the time, but it was good. It worked fine. Um, I I could see how four would be a nightmare, though. Yeah, and four also is an issue as far as the cards are concerned because there's this pretty set number for three, and then once you get to four, mm. there's some oddities as far as w- how they kind of balance certain things as far as four. So three seems to be that, like, it was built to be solo, two, three, and then four, they were like, well, we need four because it's a Euro game. Right. So, uh, and then again, like you said, the graphic design is, is, is a little bit sus. So, I don't know. It's a thing. Yeah. It's a, thing. It's, it's it's a, a good, step. It's a good game. I think it's like Villagers is still the best one. I like Streets a lot. So this is number three for me, but that's not a bad thing. It's no. It's just that the other two were so good. Yeah, they were. So it's, Streamlined. Very streamlined. Yeah. it's. I think I like Streets more than you did. 
if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we both liked it. But I like, I really, really enjoyed that game. Um, so this one was like, oh, well, I was expecting a little more from your take on drafting, but at the same time, it does work. So I'm sure. not unhappy, and I, I, I do want to try out the other one. Yeah, and their next game is a big box game, so it's not even oh, a small okay. game. They they have actually previewed their next game, um, so we'll be able to talk about that coming up. But I like all three games about the same. Oh, okay. Like I said, of different because they're very different games. Villagers, sure. Villagers has always kind of had a special place in my heart because wherever and whenever I play that, everybody wants to play it right again. Like, like, oh, that yeah. was great. Let's play it again, and. A lot of games I own and a lot of games I bring to game nights, people love, but never, never asking for the game back to back to back. Like Villagers comes out and, and it plays two, three times every time. Yeah. Yeah. I've had that and, same experience and it's super rare. So yeah, especially when you're the person who has all the new stuff for review and people are like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, but what else is in the bag? <laughs> that was fine. But what else you got? Yeah. I like streets. No, I, I nothing bad to say about streets. It's just a little bit lighter. As far as a game mechanic is concerned, and then Moon is a little more complicated, but it's still easier than some of the other drafting tableau builders. And then anytime you do a follow mechanic, like with Lisboa, where you move the the rovers over, that's a little bit more challenging. You're adding a little more time to the gameplay. So it's not a game you're going to play back to back. Yeah, it, no, it took a couple hours. I don't. Villagers is such a sweet spot. And I, I don't know that there are many games that pull it off, honestly. No. Like that weight, that length, that simplicity, but with enough emergent complexity, it's hard to do. Yeah, and the expansions are great for it as well. Yeah. All right. Well, I got two games to table, so I got you covered there this week. One I played for the first time, and then one I played many, many times long ago. So let's start off with the first one that I played. This is Bullet. With a heart symbol. Yeah. <laughs> That's the actual board game geek uh I, I guess what would you call it? Title or yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, it's it's that's you're not thing. allowed you're not allowed to forget the heart symbol. <laughs> you gotta have the heart symbol, otherwise you'll find like five hundred other bullet games. Yeah. This was something that was recently on Kickstarter and just more or less got back to backers. And it's a very interesting idea and concept okay so the game itself is about all of these different heroines in a far-flung future earth using incredible powers to defend the earth from evil as well as each other yeah (laughs) so um each of the heroines here has a special power asymmetric kind of special ability and it manifests itself in a lot of different ways. So let's talk about, uh, I have to talk about a little bit about the setup because this, once we learn about the setup, then the game's going to make a lot more sense. Now the game itself, more or less, is a variation of Tetris or some of those battle puzzle games where colors and tokens are dropping down from above and then you're doing your best to make certain arrangements, whether it's a Tetris or a certain, you know, shapes and sizes, so that you can get those, in this case, bullets, off your site, off your board. So you have a main board. It has the five colors that you're going to pull out from a bag. So you're going to pull out these discs. And then based on the disc, it's going to give you a number. 
and then you'll count the spaces on your personal sideboard. These are the bullets that are coming at you. And then you place them on the board based on the number. If there's a number there, token number there, you skip that and you go, you continue on. So you skip those spots. You have your player beyond this kind of main Tetris board, battle board where all these tokens come down. You have your particular player character. Again, amazing artwork. And on the bottom, how many life points that particular character has. Most of them typically have four. But with the Kickstarter, there's a lot of characters. There's a crazy amount of characters here in this game. So as the bullets come down and they reach the bottom of the board, they slide over to the left and they actually are wounds. On the right side, there is energy and special abilities that you can use to manipulate the bullets that you're pulling out of the bag and placing on the board. Now, how do you get rid of the bullets? Well, you actually have a set of cards particularly designed for your character that you start at the beginning of the game. And again, depending on the character, it could be three, four, five, whatever it is. And you do have special abilities to, to take out these cards that show these different symbols and combinations and organizations of like one red. And then if you have one red and two other certain colors on the left side, you'll be able to get rid of three bullets on the right side. So you, you're trying to get these tokens properly arranged to match the patterns on the cards that you have in front of you. And as you do that, you're able to clear the bullets off because, before they cause you damage. That continues on until all other players are eliminated. As you're clearing out the bullets, the, the attacks against you, they go to your player to your left. So it adds to their bag. So the better you do, the more challenge slash danger you put the other people into, in addition to the normal number of tokens that you will take each round. And each round, you add more and more tokens to your bag that you must play. Here's the last thing about the game. Anthony's game plays in 15 minutes. You know how I know that? Because there's a timer. Oh. With music. <laughs> So music. Okay. <laughs> yes. So they have a very, very like dance, dance revolution, anime kind of music playlist. And you play it on your phone and you have to get all the tokens out. You have to arrange them. Hopefully do not die. And if the music runs out, then you have to place the tokens without being able to manipulate them or take them off the board. And you continue to do this until the you're the last person standing. That's the game. It's colorful. It's bright. It's hectic. It's stressful. It's, it's, it's got this frenetic energy to it. The challenge happens to be that the characters do play somewhat differently. I got it. Like I looked through all the characters here, a lot of different game styles and play styles. You know, some of them, again, there's just such a wide variety of things. Some of them just take the tokens off the board. Some add additional tokens, but protect you. Some have certain patterns. Some, you know, different special abilities that you can kind of put into play. So you do need to utilize your player unique power set in order to be able to survive in the game. It's not enough to use the basic special abilities, which are different for different players. But the real key to the game is playing the special ability. That being said, I got to play one of the characters and I won. That being said, there are so many different characters that unless I played a good number of them, I can't honestly give this a review yet. Because again, 
a lot of the characters play differently, so it's a different kind of gameplay style. Beyond that, it's a very much a solitaire game. You're doing your own thing. You'll take the tokens at the end of the round, but no one interferes with you or interacts with you. You're just taking the tokens, placing your bag between rounds, but you're doing your own thing. You're just trying to survive. Your head's down. You're looking at the different patterns. You're trying to match up with them. Tokens are coming out at your own pace that you want to play. It's very much a game experience more than it is a game. Like, it's a game, but it's more of a game experience because it's 100% alone and it's against yourself. It might as well be just a solo game because it really is a solo game. The artwork is great. The components are great. The music is a different twist. The real-timeness of it is interesting. Again, it's more of a game experience, but again, I think the game experience might turn more into a game if you play enough of the different characters to see their special abilities and see if like it fundamentally feels radically different. It might feel a little different. It's a game experience. That's that's my general view right now because again, only had played one of the characters was fun, but was did really feel like a game experience. Yeah, I've I've heard that actually. Like and this is one of those games that I've been meaning to play, but paying $40 to try it out seemed like a, a bit much. Um, yes. But I've, I've had several people tell me, like, this is an amazing solo game, or an amazing, yes. like, 1v1 type of, just, like, basically like a rolling right almost. Yeah. Um, in terms of, like, the experience. So everything you're saying sounds more or less in line with that. Yeah. Um, and it's level 99, so, like, the asymmetry makes sense. That's that's kind of what they do. Yeah, the artwork, the color, the production, the, the fact that level 99 throws everything and legitimately the ch- kitchen sink into every game that they do they kind of blow it out where the box is just like overdone like everything every game they make is just like can we somehow fit more stuff into it so i guess you can but it seems like i think anthony as you mentioned as far as like a solo game it's probably a game game as far as like a multitude of people at the table it's a really kind of fun interesting game experience because i gotta believe on some level you could play with endless numbers of players. Like it doesn't stop you necessarily. There's no reason. I guess you run out of chips in that uh, bag eventually, but that's about it. Yeah. All right. Now let's go back to a game that I have played a lot, multiple, multiple, multiple times, but this is the deluxe version. And in particular, it's a deluxe version because of Ian O'Toole, along with a lot of other great artists that were, uh, employed here. So this is Ra. Came out in 1999, but recently there was a, I guess it was a game found uh, Kickstarter campaign that you could back. And it was like this ultimate super deluxe edition. And you know what? It it really is a super deluxe edition. <laughs> that first player Ra token, like when you want to call an auction, and if you don't know the game, It's primarily the auction of all auction games out there. So this is Reiner Knizia's like, this is his, this is his area. This is his thing. This is his game. It's one of the best. It's one of his best games. So primarily there's a lot of these different, in this game, they're like wood tokens, metal points, and giant, giant first player marker. And basically at the start of the game, you're given three numbers. These are your bidding numbers. Everyone gets three bidding numbers. They're all different numbers. And then each turn, someone pulls out a token out of the bag, places places it down, 
And then the next player decides, do you want to start an auction? You don't have to want the, have the auction to win it, but you could start the auction. If not, you continue on and people keep, keep placing tokens out on this kind of market board. Eventually, there are raw tokens that come out, these red tokens, and start an auction automatically. If the row fills up, starts an automatic auction. Primarily, you want to get the most of a particular collection of items. Now, they do a whole bunch of different things, but primarily they're just set collection situations. There are three rounds or epochs in the in the game, and primarily you're gaining like pharaoh tiles, building tiles, farming tiles, Nile tiles, and you're trying to get the best collection of points. Some things score every round, some things score only at the end of the game, and there are also a lot of negative points in the game. So you're trying to you know, pick the places where you want to place your numbers, hopefully to win you the most number of tokens. And yet at the same time, it's very much a press your luck game. I had a second round where I had the three top numbers and did not decide to get involved. And at the end, rah, 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 all these red tokens came out and blocked me out. So that happens. I pressed my luck, didn't win that round, but pulled out a great game nonetheless. So rah, is a great game, modern day classic, absolutely positively. If you like auction games, this is a buy. The deluxe edition is not necessary, but is very nice. The artwork here, the graphic design here is stellar. It's a great production, no matter what level you backed it at for GameFound or you pick it up later. Great game, rah. That's a, certainly a buy for me. I have this, I backed this. And I've not had a chance to play it yet because Ooh. it's raw, right? It's like, it's not something I'm going to play with my kids and I can't play it solo. So it's been <laughs> sitting there and I've like opened it and looked at it. I'm like, man, this is pretty. I got to get this to the table. It's heavy, right? It's so heavy. I'm like, how do you turn raw into this? But um, <laughs> they t- <laughs> it's one of those rare ones where like I backed it because I'm like, I think I like this game and I got it in and I'm like, no, I do like this game. And I'm very happy just to have it on the shelf. As mm-hmm. like you said, they're works of art. So yes. It's just nice to have up there. It's pretty, but I don't know how often I'm going to get it played because, uh, like, lugging it around. I don't know if it's going to happen. But sure. It's cool. I do like it. Yeah, it's it's yet again another design that's just. It was okay because it's a bidding game, right? Right. But when you do pull the tiles out of the bag instead of pulling out like cardboard chits, it feels good. It it yeah. has a lot of you know, tactile expression to it while you're playing the game. So uh, again, it's an opportunity for people to rediscover a gem of a game. It really is an interesting combination of a press your luck auction game, because how far do you let that market go out before you play your numbers? And if, and when you do play your numbers, you're also taking a low, typically not always, but typically you could be taking a lower number from the board. So it really is a, it's a quick fun. I mean, it's again, you just have to kind of learn the set collections, which is clearly stated on the board. Right. But uh, a lot of fun. All right. So that's the games that we got to the table this week. Now, on to our feature review. So let's talk about the Roman Empire, but let's talk about more specifically the top X Roman Empire games, Anthony, because it's Roman numerals, bro. X, man. Yeah, I got it. I got it. All right. That's clever. I got it. See, I did a thing. Yeah. It was it was it was great. We should have made it a random number just so it would be hard to say like the random C X I V C V. 
book. To be fair, I learned my Roman numerals from Super Bowls. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which they're, they were all accurate until you got to 50 and then it was just 50. Yeah. Then it, was, then it went out off the rails. They but didn't want again, to be like uh, Super Bowl L. You're like, no. No. <laughs> I also learned all my operas from Looney Tunes. So it's fine. It's yeah, fine. Yeah. Well, I mean, where else would you learn them from? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right, Anthony, so why don't you start us off with some great Roman Empire games? All right, Roman Empire games coming at you. Uh, So first up on the list, uh, number X, we have Carpe Diem from Stefan Feld. I've talked about this one a bunch. This one came out the same year as Forum Trajanum, like a month apart. So it's a Stefan Feld being like, this is the Roman year. And this is the far better of the two games. Uh, Nominated for several awards. It's a Kennerspiel nominee. And it is a game in which you are laying out various tiles that you will draft from uh, a center space each round. And you're, you're moving your... It's basically a rondelle to select them, but they, they created like this weird star movement thing. It's just You could make it a circle, it's fine. Um, but what makes the game really interesting is the scoring mechanism. So you have this whole layer of different scoring cards, and you're going to place one of your tokens between two of them at the end of each scoring phase, and that's what you're going to score. And so it's like you're drafting almost the scoring mechanics. So you can plan for a certain scoring, but you're not necessarily going to get it unless you're the person who gets to choose first. It's very clever. I like it a lot. It is a tableau builder of sorts. Um, almost polyomino-esque, but not really, because they're each little squares. And it, it does a good job of like representing, like you're building out this kind of like palazzo <laughs> in ancient Rome. Um, very clever. Some early printing errors. If not errors, but like issues. They're hard to see certain colors in the early versions, but they've kind of got that worked out now. Very nice. All right, our number nine game is a new one. I'm Foundations. sorry. I'm sorry. Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Number IX. Oh, I'm sorry. We're we're still doing that. Yeah, <laughs> you started it, man. I'm gonna keep it. Going. All right, IX. <laughs> or. Uh, or as 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 uh, the kids in New York City, V I I I I I V with a lot of eyes at the end. But uh, yes, uh, Foundations of Rome. Foundations of Rome is a new game, and I'm not going to even try. I don't know. It came out in what CC. <laughs> no, you don't have to do that. Don't do that. <laughs> All right, we won't do that. We're, you know, it's been a while since we we we've been pra- we didn't practice these numbers, kids. All this stuff is on the fly. We just do this on the fly. Uh, Arena Two, or Arena Roma Two, from a friend that you may know, Stefan Feld. And again, let's talk artwork because it's fantastic. Michael Menzel, great artist here, one of the best. So this was a game that I took. I, it took a very long time to track it down because it was out of print. There was the original Arena Roma. There was original Roma. And basically, it it's all about the revolt in Rome, right? So all of these powerful rulers are jockeying for position. There's a lot of political intrigue. There's a lot of military actions happening. And there's a lot of uh, powerful um, organizations and businesses that are are in play. So basically, throughout the game, what you're doing is you're laying out these different tiles. And again, they're relatively the same game with different cards and some change rules. But primarily, you have this long board in between the two players. It's only a two-player game. You have dice. And then you play cards out to certain dice numbers in order to, when dice are rolled, those cards are activated. But they're activated on both sides for both players. 
it's a fun, fascinating, small box game that represents so many different aspects of the Roman Empire, farming, economics, political, military, architectural, just a really fantastic game. Arena Roma 2 or <laughs> Roma II. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's like, just say the number, guys. You don't have just to say, say the, the number. I. We'll never find it. Yeah. <laughs> On Board Game Geek, it is II. So don't it put is. the number two in there. Yep. Uh, all right. Next up, we have number VI, II. <laughs> Hannibal and Hamilcar, um, also known as number eight. This was a. Uh, so this game's been released three times. Uh, the original version came back, out back in 1996 Hannibal, Rome versus Carthage. And then the kind of more formalized version of it came out in 1998, uh, Hamilcar First Punic War. And then the anniversary edition, the 20th anniversary edition, came out in 2018, Hannibal and Hamilcar. That's the one we're talking about here. Um, this is from Phalanx Games, so beautiful reproduction, just absolutely fantastic production. I have this downstairs. And it is a 1v1 two-player war game, uh, card-driven war game, uh, in which one person plays Hannibal and one person plays uh, Hamilcar. So you have Rome versus Carthage. So it's one of the like foundational, highly memorable. Uh, I, I want to say battles, but it's you know campaigns. I guess is the word I'm looking for um, in ancient Rome. And so it's kind of like all these different elements of like the two different superpowers and how they fought, but also like just really zoomed in also on individual battles. You get the upgraded stuff with this. You have like uh, miniatures for all the different leaders. Again, upgrades for like the boards and the boxes. Um, it's relatively simple compared to a lot of other big, sprawling political war games. Uh, and it's it's just really engaging on, in a lot of ways. There are a ton of war games based on ancient Rome. This is one of the best ones for like a 1v1. If you want to play with just a pure two-player game, this is up there. It's one of the best two-player games out there, um, if you can find a copy. And it's uh, Hannibal and Hamilcar. Excellent. Our number seven here, or VII here, is going to be Foundations of Rome. This is another new game coming out that talked about, I think it was last year it came out, talking about the Great Roman Empire and in particular all the wondrous architecture, these amazing buildings. And in, primarily it's a city building game. So you're an architect and you're competing to build up the land with your magnificent structures and you're trying to jockey out of space. And this is just another fantastic game from Emerson Matrucci. And basically, you're collecting victory points. This is the game that everyone was talking about because it was so physically massive, uh, both in delivery. I think it, it had some problems actually getting out. It's this giant cube with all these giant buildings, uh, beautifully sculpted um, pieces of uh, just artwork, right? Again, these are mimicking, replicating a lot of the great buildings in Rome. Uh, you get the traditional city buildings that are in play here. You get a lot of the beautiful monuments that are here and just just amazing sculptors that you can put into play as well. So throughout the game, you're selecting territories. You're trying to capture certain areas in order to be able to build on. And then once you've got the plots that you want to build, you build these great buildings with your particular tokens and numbers, and they are different shapes and sizes. So they're kind of polyamo, polyamo-esque? I don't know. You're constructing buildings. You're putting them out. You're controlling areas. You're scoring points. Again, 
if you want to be able to see in a very small location all the wonderment of the architecture of the Roman Empire, you couldn't do worse. This is amazing, amazing looking game. Great, easy gameplay to get involved with. Again, it's Foundations of Rome. Foundations of Rome. All right, number six, or VI, we have Command and Colors Ancients. This is the first in the Command and Colors series, and the third in the series of games that use this system um, from uh, designer Richard Borg. So the original being Battlecry in 1999, and then we had Memoir 44 in 2004, and then this one came along in 2006. There are, I think, three other Command and Colors games that have come out since. This was the first one. Uh, so it uses that familiar system where it breaks up the battlefield into multiple sections. You play cards that let you activate different units in different sections of the board. It is more complicated than those other two games, though, because it is a GMT-style war game with little blocks that you put stickers on. Um, so a lot of things going on there. You have multiple different types of cards. You've got leadership, section, troops, tactics. Um, it, it takes all the stuff that you know from, like, if you've played Memoir 44, it, like, levels all of that up. Of course, setting it in ancient Rome. Um, now, it obviously brings in a lot of different elements from the ancients, but Rome being one of the primary, you know, winners, I guess, of history. Uh, a lot of this is focused on you know famous battles and individuals from that space. So, Command and Colors Ancients. Uh, if you're looking for a big sprawling war game with you know the the blocks and everything that go with it um, on hex grid. From GMT, this is still considered one of the best. There are others, of course, if you want to play a different theme. You could play Medieval, Napoleonics, or Samurai Battles. Uh, but Man of Colors Ancients came first. So check that one out. That's our number VI. VI. Excellent. Love myself a, love a great VI. <laughs> uh, v is Pandemic, Fall of Rome. I am not the biggest fan of Pandemic. It's fine. But you know what? Pandemic Fall of Rome is an excellent game. It really synthesizes a lot of great things about Pandemic in a very simple kind of gameplay mechanic. So if you've ever played Pandemic before, it's about these four different viruses that are affecting the world. And you have your own special character to be able to collect, I guess, the cures for all these different pandemics that are attacking all at the same time. And then you're running around the planet to kind of stop and solve and hopefully, you know, stop a lot of the outbreaks. Now here, it's pandemic, but better because first off, it's not viruses. It's the barbarian hordes. Again, historically, somewhat relatively true. The fall of the, of the Roman Empire was because of all these tribes and barbarians and all these outside attacks and influence. And a lot of internal stuff as well. They're coming to take Rome. You are fighting back. You have your player character. You're taking your four actions per turn. And instead of curing diseases, fighting back these barbarians, you're trying to knock out their hordes before they explode within the cities and take you over. So it's a fun, fast game with mechanics that you know very well. And it makes a lot more sense. You're marching, you're sailing, you're fortifying certain cities. You're recruiting armies, you're battling, but you could also forge alliances. So again, makes very sense with the historical period. And then you can actually, in fact, enlist the barbarians into play too. So the dice are great. The artwork is great. It, it looks great on the table. It's just a lot of fun and it gives you an impression and an understanding of the history of that time. 
So that is V for Pandemic Fall of Rome. All right. Uh, next up, we have IV. There we go. I had to think for a second. <laughs> I started this. I have to finish it. I know. Um, IV, number four, Coliseum. Uh, this is from 2007. This was originally released by Days of Wonder, designed by Wolfgang Kramer and Marcus Lupke. And it is a game about putting on events in the Coliseum. Um, it You do not score points throughout the game, but rather you acquire different resources and goods and you know manipulate various events throughout the board, moving the, the emperor around and various senators and whatever, and try to put on the best show. And if you put on the best show over the course of the entire game, you're the winner. Um, a very creative, unique game in terms of almost like you literally are putting on the best show. And I've seen other games that try to do this. And at the end of the day, they still come down to like points in some way. This doesn't really do that. It really just encourages you to maximize the efficiency of the things you have in your tableau in front of you. And it's a lot of fun to kind of play with that. Um, the original version, the Days of Wonder version, is considered a grail game. People still hunt that down. It's beautiful artwork. Um, there was a Tasty Minstrel version of the game released seven or eight years ago that is terribly ugly. <laughs> Very cartoony. <laughs> uh, did not replace the Days of Wonder version for anybody. There's a new version coming to Kickstarter next year, though, that looks fantastic. It's got Ian O'Toole working on the artwork. Uh, what? Yeah. Not AI? Not, not AI? Well, unless Ian O'Toole is an, art, an AI, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we, all, we know the only AI out there is David Turchi, right? Right, right, Mr. Turchi, or Mr. Robot Turchi. I don't know how Robot Turchi. Robot yes. Turchi, there you go. Uh, so there's Coliseum coming with new artwork from Eno Tool and the Miko. And then there's actually a new version of Coliseum they're working called Ave Titus. Um, they brought on Johnny Pack to work with Wolfgang Kramer and Marcus Lupke. That's only Eno Tool artwork. Bottom line is keep your eyes out for those. It's a fantastic game. Uh, and the new updated stuff looks really good at so far, what they've shown. I'm sure it'll be stupid expensive, but <laughs> to be fair, to get a not ugly version of this game right now is also stupid expensive. So yes. you might as well pay all the money to a Kickstarter and get something new and the money goes to the designers. So uh, keep your eye for that. That is our number IV Coliseum. Excellent. Our number III is Trajan. Uh, Trajan is one of the best games from, I guess, arguably, one of the best games from Stefan Feld back in 2011. And this, let me give you the funny kind of, ver you know, review version of this. It's, it's Roman Mario Party. There, I said it. Now I can just move <laughs> on. Okay. You like Mario Party? You know what Mario Party is? Here's a Roman version of it. Made okay. by Stefan Feld. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> so. Basically, the main mechanic here that you're going to be operating is a rondelle. It's a rondelle, Macala kind of thing. You pick up your piece, you move it around, you get to a certain spot. Based upon what's there, you'll be able to activate something at a particular strength. Now, what you're activating is a number of different things throughout the board. So there's a lot of their resources and commodities. There's military. Uh, there's Trajan tiles. Uh, Senate track, there's buildings, construction, architecture. There is basically a number of different places for you to activate and operate and score points. It is a classic Feld salad or a Caesar Feld salad, point salad out there. So six different spots. You get to operate this really cool rondelle 
And then you get to place your influence and your activities in certain areas, your scoring points throughout the round. Everything's important. Everything's essential. Great little game, Trajan from Stefan Feld. All right. Uh, number II, Concordia. Whoa. Yes, wonderful game. Uh, this is from Matt Gertz, and the there are officially two full versions of Concordia. You have Concordia and Concordia Venus, but then there's also like seven or eight expansion maps and expansions. So yes. this is a game set during the height of the Roman Empire when there's peace everywhere, and you can just focus on buying and trading goods and spreading your you know, mercantile goodness across the Mediterranean. Um, you will have cards in your hand that you can then play to take certain actions. You will get new cards that you will purchase to your hand, and you will be able to pull those cards back into your hand periodically. As you play these cards out, you will do lots of interesting things. You will acquire various goods from different locations. You will build new trading posts. You will put out different boats and travel the seas and be able to you know, visit new parts of the map. There are, like I said, a bunch of different maps. The base map is just the Mediterranean, but you can focus on individual countries or spaces within the Mediterranean. Um, spread out, and they have different rules, which is always interesting. Um, the game itself, does you don't really know the score throughout the game, because everything's kind of just building up in your hand, where this each of these cards you get will have a scoring mechanism on it at the end of the game. You will calculate all of those. Um, if you've only ever played online, you'll find this odd, because online it will, on Steam or uh, online play, will kind of add it all up for you as you go. Uh, Concordia is one of the modern classics. It's fantastic. It only has like two or three pages of rules. Very simple, very quick, and easy to learn. And uh, it is very much the epitome of trading in the Mediterranean. But trading in the Mediterranean is about as Roman as it gets. So <laughs> it is up here at number II, two on our list. Concordia. All right. Well, that leaves us to number I. <laughs> <laughs> number one, as other people might say. But, you know. Most people. I know. Except most me. people. Not us. We're all about the eyes here. So uh -huh. what else could it be? Glory to Rome, my friends. Glory to Rome, Anthony. Glory. Now, Glory to Rome is, in a lot of ways, again, one of the, it's still one of the Grail games out there. Glory to yeah. Rome came out in 2005, had a lot of, really just, it just hit the market, did incredibly well. Carl Cheticek, uh and Ed Carter put out a great game. HR is known for kind of the artwork here as well. The original version, fantastic mechanics but had a cartoony artwork to it. Not necessarily bad. I do own a copy. But later on, it came out with this black box edition. Very straight, streamlined icons for the artwork here. But that wasn't really what the game was really just known for. It was known for some fantastic and amazing revolutionary gameplay. Basically, Glory to Rome is about the Roman Empire and all the wondrous things that they did and we're known for. So your player board or your camp allowed you to tuck cards above, below, left, and right. So on the left, you, you tucked in your clientele. These are the people that you hired, the different people, the craftspeople and such, to add to your special abilities and activities. So when you took an action from a card from your hand, you looked at your clientele and saw how much more you could do with it. There's also influence. As you're building up buildings and gaining special abilities, 
you'll also have the opportunity to add that foundation to your influence, your stockpile of resources, and your vault. A lot of ways to tuck cards, have great gameplay, a lot of fun because the ways in which you can win the game are really based upon the buildings and a lot of the shenanigans that you could do with the other players at the table. And it was just a lot of fun as far as building the different foundations up for those buildings, trying to get the quickest way to victory. Some cards did a whole bunch of different things. A lot of ways to play, a lot of fun. Anthony, you play this game. You love this game. I like this game. It's great. Uh, it's 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 one of those clever games that every time I play it, I obviously remember the rules. It's not overly complicated, but I never quite remember what the strategy is supposed to be because yeah. I don't own a copy of it. And so it's really just like one of those like floating enigmas where someone is like, I brought my copy of Glory to Rome. and be like, oh, we're going to play this game right now. <laughs> um, and then I'm like, yeah, we got to play this game right now that I vaguely remember. And I always lose because I can't quite remember until the last turn of the game what I should have been doing. Um, I would absolutely 100% buy this game so that I could get better at it. Yes. But you can't buy this game unless you want to spend several hundred dollars. So nope. that would be great if they could figure out the rights and actually re-release this because I would totally pick it up. <laughs> I would love to play this. <laughs> and again, the reason why it's number I on our list is because when we talk about literally the glory of Rome right. is all the amazing people that went into making this empire so vast. I mean and just historic uh the labor people the crafts people the military the architects the merchants all the patrons the artists everything that was in play here is play in the game so the people are represented the different architectural masterpieces and military advancements and different buildings are here as well as all the crafts people laborers that made all these things possible what you're what you're mentioning here, Anthony, is the truth, which is there's a lot of ways to win and play this game based upon the cards because they all have different special abilities amongst like getting a certain combination of really hard to get cards and you just win the game. So that happens right. too. Yeah. So if you ever do get a chance to play the game or if you do, in fact, want to, you know, have a little play as far as what is the Roman Empire known for? It's Glory to Rome, my friends. Glory to Rome, our number I game out there. All right, everyone. That's everything for this week. Until next week, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll see you all. I see you at the table. Take care, everyone. Bye. See ya.